This is your Wednesday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. Plenty to get to today on the show. Randy Johnson covers Gopher football for the Star Tribune. will join me here in just a little bit to talk Gopher football recruiting. Today is signing day for the early period. Gophers have a pretty good haul this season. Let's see what they're able to do down the road with some of the guys they're bringing in right now. You know, a lot of these guys probably don't help right away, but winning this year, winning, you know, two of the last three years probably helps them recruit some of these better players. So we'll break that down with Randy and just how, you know, recruiting has changed because of the transfer portal. Get into some listener questions. We'll get into some Gophers men's basketball. Yeah, they played last night and won again. Um, wild postponement, Steph Curry breaking the record, and a goalie matchup that had a decided South Metro Minneapolis-St. Paul flavor to it. But first, what did I miss? I want to start, maybe a weird time of year to start with this, but I want to start with an NFL mock draft that came out uh, just the other day from Todd McShay over at ESPN. It's his first kind of early predictions for the 2022 draft. And again, take these with a grain of salt. I believe, you know, one year poor Todd McShay had Mitch Leidner as a possible first round pick. I think that was his way too early right after the draft before, you know, the one year out draft. This one's at least we've seen a college season, another college season from a lot of these guys. Um, it's notable to me, though, not so much in who he's got going where, but kind of how Todd McShay, who studies these things far more closely than I do, how he sees the quarterback pool in 2022. Because let's face it, if things break a certain way for the Vikings, let's say they don't make the playoffs, which is the most likely scenario at this point, um, and they have a regime change, which I think is certainly on the table as well, um, it's much easier to imagine a Kirk Cousins trade. I think he's tradable. I think he would bring back some assets. He would only cost the Vikings $10 million on the cap, dead cap, next season if they traded him. Another team would absorb the $35 million left on his contract. Perhaps they would extend him. But Kirk Cousins has played well enough this season to be a trade commodity. And if this is a team that you know wants to start over, does not make a single bit of sense to me to keep Kirk Cousins on the roster. Even if he's played well this year, I just don't see him as the long-term fit if a new regime comes in. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong about that. It just doesn't feel like that would be the way you build a uh, a new contending team. You kind of want to start over at that point, and why do you keep your $45 million quarterback, or why do you extend him when we think we've seen kind of what he has to offer. So with that as a backdrop, I think a Kirk Cousins trade this coming offseason is very much possible. And if you're going to do that, you're going to need to start over at quarterback. And maybe you don't draft your quarterback right away. Maybe you do. Um, but this is the interesting thing to me. Now, McShay has the Vikings taking Ahmad Gardner, a corner at 15th overall, corner from Cincinnati. And that would be ironic if there is a regime change because Mike Zimmer loves himself a good tall corner and Gardner who they call sauce is six foot two um a lot of uh you know a lot of plays a lot of press coverage big physical corner that would be a perfect fit for his defense um hard to say though if he will be around to lead it now just one more maybe but 
the quarterbacks are more interesting to me. And the Vikings are picking 15th in that scenario. That's where the draft order has them right now. Let's just assume that that is around where they are going to finish this year. Could be a little bit higher, could be a little bit lower. This is the really interesting thing to me. McShay has five quarterbacks going in the first round of the 2022 draft. He has them going number 12, Kenny Pickett from Pittsburgh, number 13, Matt Crowell from Ole Miss, number 17, Malik Willis from Liberty, number 19, Desmond Ritter from Cincinnati, and number 25, Sam Howell from North Carolina. The names and everything, the exact order, don't mean all that much to me right now. Like I said, this is a crapshoot. A million things are going to change between now and when the draft happens. What is interesting to me is that Todd McShay, who looks at these things far more closely than I do, has five quarterbacks kind of right in the range, four in particular, 12 through 19, who he projects as being first-round picks. So, you know, there's maybe not that home run, top five, number one overall quarterback talent like there has been in past years, really recent years, like Trevor Lawrence, Joe Burrow. But it does seem like there's at least enough depth, even if we're not calling this a great quarterback draft, to warrant you know four or five quarterbacks being taken in the first round, all of them right around the spot where the Vikings will be choosing. So if they want to go that route, if they don't want to keep Kirk Cousins, if they don't think Kellen Mond is the long-term answer, if they want a couple young quarterbacks in there and want to throw a first-round pick at it, um, this could be a year to do it. This could be a maneuver they would make because there should be a quarterback available to them based on what we know right now. Take a playcation to Mystic Lake for 24-7 gaming, fun restaurants and bars, and luxurious hotel rooms. And join Club M to bask in the rewards. Follow the lights to Mystic Lake where every day is play day. Happy to have Randy Johnson back on Daily Delivery. Gave him a full week off uh before I bugged, before i bugged him again and said randy let's talk college football recruiting um wednesday is signing day gophers football team currently i believe has at least as of recording on a tuesday i believe they have 19 commits they are number seven in the big 10 according to 247 sports and 36 nationally sounds pretty solid um randy maybe talk me through what you see in particular in this class and, and kind of how it stacks up. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. Uh, recruiting has changed quite a bit now with the transfer portal. So you're not seeing as many teams go with the, uh, say, 25-man uh, classes. Uh, you know, Gophers, right now they have those 19, and then they have well, one transfer they picked up over the weekend. So they're, uh, you know, they're sitting at 20. They're, they could end up adding some later. Um, you know, I think – PJ Flex uh, leaving some wiggle room in there. Uh, you know they had a a very good um, experience uh, in the transfer portal this year with uh, getting guys like uh, Jet linebacker Jack Gibbons, um, uh, defensive tackle Niles Pinkney. Um, you know two very productive players uh, on the offense. Uh, wide receiver Dalen Wright also from Texas A&M. So it, it's uh, it, it's something you'll you'll be uh, seeing uh, a lot more in college football. And this year it really exploded. It seemed, um, you know, with the first really, really full year of it uh, coming coming about and everybody kind of, instead of just dipping their toe in the water, a lot of people jumping in pretty good. Like I said, nine, like we said, 19, you know, actual, you know, commits coming from high school. Doesn't seem like a ton of in-state recruits this year, but 
One of the headliners is Eden Prairie defensive lineman Trey Bixby. What do we know about him? He's a four-star. Looks like he's the second-best recruit in the state, according to 247 Sports, and he's the national number 40 at his position. What, uh, what, uh, what, what, do we like about, uh, what do we like about him? It seems like there's plenty to like about him. I think it was Trey. It's a lot of potential. You know, he, he, was, uh, he transferred in from St. Edward in Cleveland, Ohio, um, you know, uh, Ohio, an Ohio power uh, state champion again there this year. Um, yeah, he, he's, he showed a lot early in his career, especially as a sophomore. Um, he's battled some uh, health, health situation, and th- this year he, had, he was slowed uh, quite a bit by a high ankle sprain uh, early in the season. Um, ended up playing six games. He was productive for Eden Prairie. Um, you know, it's, it's, he's someone who you look at, at the, at the, at the size, um, the six foot five frame and everything there, um, a lot of potential with him. I think that's, that's where you're looking at, at, at his high ranking there. Another four-star recruit also on the defensive line. Both of their four stars are defensive lineman, Anthony Smith from Pennsylvania. Again, that six, five frame, that seems to be what everybody is looking for these days. Yeah, th- this guy is, uh, he's been pretty productive out of Chippensburg. Um, he uh, checks in at uh, about uh, 280. Um, he, he had uh, six sacks, 14 tackles for loss this year, and his team's 11 and one. So uh, yeah, he's a guy that he's, he's shown a lot on, on the field. And I, I think, uh, I think they'll be pretty happy with him when they get him in here. Like I said, I don't see a ton of in-state recruits here. We go down to a wide receiver, uh, Kristen Hoskins from Alexandria and uh, uh, Joe Gerlach from Woodbury. But, you know, outside of that, looks like you know, Tony Nelson from, from Tracy and then Spencer Alvarez from Columbia Heights. But outside of that, it seems like they largely recruited outside of Minnesota, which, you know, you, you get that from year to year. Um, maybe it's a, maybe it wasn't a huge abundance of, of prospects. Maybe they went elsewhere. What, what do you make of that aspect of things this year? Yeah, I, th- I think Minnesota it might be down a hair bit this year. Um, you know, they did go after some guys, uh, didn't get them, uh, uh, particularly the, the, uh, the Marshall Minnesota lineman, uh, D- Dalen Hazard, um, who's going to Iowa state. That's one that they were, they were, um, hoping to get, uh, early, earlier this year. Um, the, um, yeah, so they're ba- they're basically it's it's they're trying to put together what they can. They yeah they they didn't get uh, all the all the Minnesotans they would have wanted to, but uh, I I don't know if how many they actually would have had uh, that that they were going after too. Obviously, um, quarterback is a big you know obviously kind of the biggest biggest uh, kind of recruits you can you can get in a position they are going to need to solve in the future. I mean, with Tanner Morgan back next season, not necessarily in immediate need. What can you tell me about their quarterback recruit from South Dakota, um, where I believe you are from as well, right? Uh, indeed, yep. Um, uh, Jacob Knuth from Harrisburg, South Dakota. He, he's uh, basically, uh, he's he committed to them uh, uh, last uh, spring, or last February, I believe it was. Uh, he, he led his team to the big school state championship in South Dakota. Counted for 41 touchdowns, uh, uh, about 2,400 passing yards, a little over 500 rushing yards. So it's kind of a dual threat there. Um, he did take a uh, late official visit to Kansas State over the weekend. Uh, but from what I hear, that he's still signing with the Gophers. It's that's something just something to watch over the over the next day or so until until signing day tomorrow. But um, yeah, I, I think he's he's somebody who 
looks like, uh, you know, would, would be in the mix to compete with uh, down the road with, say, an uh, Ethan uh, Calacamanis on the roster right now. Yeah, that's going to be an interesting thing to watch. You know, I mean, they've had, you know, for better, for worse, and he's had his ups and downs, but they've they've kind of known who their quarterback was for the last, you know, four years, the better part of the last four years, and will be again next season with Tanner Morgan. Um, so that'll be an interesting kind of battle to watch going forward. Yeah, it will. And, and what's really interesting, too, is seeing uh, the, the effect of Kirk Shiraka, the, the once and now, again, Gophers, uh, Offensive coordinator. Um, he worked very well with Tanner Morgan in the in the past, and we'll see what he can do there. And then with the the younger quarterbacks, I want to get to him in a minute and the news that they extended Joe Rossi as well. But I want to stick with recruiting here for just a minute because you mentioned at the outset how much different things are now because of the transfer portal. Um, any area you imagine they might seek to address in particular this year, not necessarily specific people, but, you know, positions of need and, you know, how easy, uh, easy is maybe the wrong word, but how kind of you can, you can fix things pretty quick. You don't have to go the junior college route for, for that kind of thing anymore. It, it can be someone no. coming from another power five conference like they did with a few players last year. Yeah. Well, they, they did address the one need so far uh, in, in, the, in the secondary with uh, uh, Ryan Stapp out of Abilene Christian. They, they're uh, hitting that pipeline again after uh, Jack Gibbons played so well for them this year at linebacker. Um, I would expect them, you know, one area need defensive line. Uh, that that's that's an area where you, they've lost quite a bit there this year with you know, the you know the guys uh, um, exhausting their eligibility, and then they had a transfer in there and MJ Anderson. Uh, so I would expect that that be an area where they would target. Um, you know, I, I would say any any spot where. They're a little thin, and that and that's they'll they'll want to add depth, and I think that's the main one. It is just so interesting how they you know used to see classes 25, 26, 27. You're just not really seeing that anymore because they want to give themselves the flexibility to add, and you know it, it it makes a certain amount of sense. It's just a different kind of ball game these days. Yeah, and, and they're still accounting a little bit for that uh, the COVID year last uh, in 2020 that uh, they were granted uh, no eligibility use, so. Basically, that's why you have some uh, six-year seniors uh, having the ability to come back. It's just managing that is, is, is a new wrinkle for the coaches. And you wrote about that recently, too, right? Because they just had one more offensive lineman say he's going to come back, too, right? Yeah, yeah. center, John Michael Schmitz. Um, pretty pretty good uh, pretty good center, uh, second-team All-Big Ten. Uh, so, yeah, that, that, was a, that was a pretty important uh, return for the Gophers. So, in addition to Oppmann, Bell, Tanner Morgan, and Mo Ibrahim, they have, you know, that's four pretty important offensive pieces yes. coming back with a ton of experience. Yeah, that, that should be a strength for them next year. Well, we'll see what uh, Kirk Shiraka can do with that. He is back, like you mentioned, left after the 2019 season, went to Penn State for a year. He was a um, an analyst, essentially, for West Virginia this past year. Ironically, <laughs> the Gophers will see West Virginia pretty soon in the guaranteed rate bowl. Um, it, it seems like this has been a fairly seamless process of him coming back, even though when he left, it might not have been on ideal terms for PJ Fleck. Yeah. He left uh, after the regular season and just before the outback bowl. So the, the timing wasn't the best, but uh, PJ, you know, PJ mentioned that he, he was going back home. He's a Pennsylvania native. Uh, there was some, um, uh, family issues were, were some illness in the family 
he was back there for that. Uh, so yeah, it, 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 you know, and he, it didn't work out for uh, Kirk at, at Penn state. He was like, Oh, after one season, uh, after the Nittany Lions finished uh, four and five, he lands at West Virginia in, the, in this offensive analyst role, which uh, is not an on the field coaching type of situation, more of an advisory um, type of job. Um, and then it worked out pretty well timing wise, uh, you know, except for maybe the awkwardness of uh, having to uh, work out what, the, the details of how, how they'd address him in the bowl game. Uh, he will not be coaching in the bowl game, but BJ Fleck and Neil Brown, the West Virginia coach came to that agreement. Got it. And they extended Joe Rossi, maybe keep him from, you know, a lot of teams, I'm sure with a lot of coaching changes, I'm sure he would be a commodity because of how well, I mean, the Gophers defense, I don't think was supposed to be the strength of this year's team. And it kind of turned out to be, um, the starring role in a lot of those wins this year. So he certainly has earned that extension. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, they're, they're fourth in the nation in total yards allowed, uh, ninth in the nation in points allowed. And, you know, they were very impressive this year. It, it, you know, it started off a little tough against Ohio State and all those playmakers, but uh, that's a defense that improved quite a bit as the season wore on. Well, last thing for you, Randy, kind of as we think about, you know, as I'm just kind of the wheels are turning here with, kind of the band getting back together. They got the offensive coordinator that had so much success with them. They've got a lot of those key playmakers and, you know, offensive stakeholders back. They, they secured Joe Rossi, maybe a chance to get some more help on the defensive line. I mean, just kind of peeking ahead to 2022 and their schedule and the year they're coming off of I mean, there should be pretty decent expectations for next year. I would imagine. Yeah, I, th- I think so. It's, it's a, uh... I look at the schedule and it's uh, it's really heavily backloaded so that they'll need to um, uh, basically get off to a nice start uh, to, to get it going because they, they do finish with uh, four of their last five games on the road. So uh, you, know, you got to make hay early there, I guess. Well, we'll see how it turns out for them. We'll see if there's any surprises on Wednesday. You'll hear from PJ Fleck on Wednesday as well. Randy Johnson, good stuff. We'll catch up again soon, okay? Okay, sounds good, Mike. Thanks a lot. Good stuff from Randy. We'll hear more from PJ Fleck today. News conference at one o'clock to talk about all the players they signed. And uh, like I said, the portal will be a big deal this year too. Can they add a few pieces to go with, you know, a lot of those returning players, particularly on offense could be a pretty good year for them. Like I, like I was talking about with Randy, the schedule early on is very forgiving, does get tougher down the stretch, but you know, the momentum you get from a good start can carry over, so maybe that will be a factor next year as well. Hit me with a hot one. Let's take a few listener questions right now. Haven't done that for a while. I always like to connect with you guys. First one from Matt Wells at Fasola Matt, longtime Randball commenter, friend. There will be this where will the St. Thomas football, hoops, and hockey teams play? Um, long-term, is there enough money to pay for new facilities or is there an appetite from existing facilities, example, Allianz, to accommodate them? Interesting question. I ran it by Jeff Day, a colleague of mine who's been doing a lot of St. Thomas coverage for us. He said, I have to look at the numbers for football. Attendance at the moment doesn't really suggest they need to expand or move Basketball and hockey are more interesting questions that he would look into it more closely, um, you know, kind of been focused on just the year and on the field, on the court, on the ice stuff. But 
got to imagine that if if this grows into something big, particularly you know basketball wise and whatnot, you're going to need maybe a, a slightly bigger space. Hockey could could find itself a good a good spot. Um, you know, I, I'm sure I'm guessing the money would be there. It always finds a way to appear in athletics. But a good question about kind of what next steps are for St. Thomas, and hopefully we can come up with an answer down the road. Charles Ingalls wanted to know, does Taco John still have potato Olay? Saw me tweeting about it yesterday that the Skyway location is now open again. I made a pilgrimage there for Taco Tuesday. And yes, sir, they absolutely still have potato Olay's. Why would they not? But maybe if he hasn't been there for a while, he doesn't know. But yes, absolutely a staple of the menu. Last one coming from Jeremy on direct message. Wants to know, why have the Timberwolves been so much better with D'Angelo Russell in the lineup this season? It doesn't seem to make sense, particularly his impact on defense. That's a great question. It's hard to ignore the impact that D'Angelo Russell has had on this year's team. The Timberwolves are 12-10 when he plays. They are 0-5 when he doesn't play individually. Um, you know, when he plays, they've got one of the best starting, you know, five-player rotations in the entire league. And individually, he is number eight in the league in defensive rating, 98.2. He has a net rating of 9.4. But that 98.2 defensive rating, eighth in the league, kind of astounding for, you know, for a guy who did not have a reputation coming into this season for being a very good defensive player. In fact, all we could talk about in the offseason was could the Wolves get stops if you're going to be devoting three of your five starting spots to Carl Anthony Towns, D'Angelo Russell, and Anthony Edwards. You know, three of them, three players who aren't the worst defensive players in the world, who, but who certainly have their deficiencies. Russell, in particular, seemed to be a weak defensive link, and here we find him number eight in defensive rating and really being an important part of the team. So what gives... Well, I'm afraid if you're a Wolves fan, you might not love the most likely answer. And luckily, as this question was rolling in, I was uh, reading at uh, at Seth Partno, Anchorage Man on Twitter, does a great job. He noted that opponents are shooting 13.3% worse with D'Angelo Russell on the floor than off the floor this season. And again, maybe that maybe you look at that and think, wow. He's having a huge defensive impact, and maybe a piece of it is some improvement and the players around him, the schemes they are running, but he mixed it up with a lot of different Wolves fans when he wrote, I apologize to the Wolves fans for celebrating Delo's tremendous defensive season for their impending disappointment. Splits like this in either direction don't actually tell us much about how well or poorly an individual player is defending. He chalks it up to... If history is any guide, it is overwhelmingly variance, which would tell you that, you know, maybe the scheme is having a certain bit to do with it. Maybe D'Lo has, you know, had an impact defensively with his positioning, with things like that. But more than likely, it is a matter of a small sample size, and this will extremely shift as the year goes on, as teams start making more shots when he is on the court. It will be as simple as that. Now, Again, having watched a good number of Wolves games, I think there has been improvement on his part. I'm not going to chalk it up all to variance. I think the scheme they run is good. I like I like the idea of them running people off the three-point line and kind of scrambling around and just, you know, I think it gets everybody active and engaged. But 
if you are counting on that to hold up for an entire season, I think Seth's point is a good one. You are going to be disappointed because more likely than not, that will fall back to the pack. I think they do have some good defensive players on the roster. Jared Vanderbilt, Patrick Beverly, Jaden McDaniels to a certain degree if he can stay out of foul trouble. You know, players like that, uh, you know, Josh Okoge, you know, guys like that are are good defensive players, have more defensive acumen and more defensive reputation than D'Angelo Russell did coming into the season. They will help the Wolves maybe settle in as a, you know, number 12 to number 15 defense for the year, give them a chance to win. But, uh, you know, as for D'Lo's impact, which a lot of it's come on the defensive end, you know, I think some of that will come back to the pack. I think we have seen that he's important to this team. I'm not denying that. I, coming into the year, I would have put him third in that pecking order, but um, you know, behind Carlton Towns and Anthony Edwards. Right now, he has proven to be far more valuable than I thought. We will see just how much more valuable he is as you know some of these numbers smooth out a little bit, and we'll get another look on Wednesday night against Denver. Let's stick with shooting for a minute or two here. Steph Curry broke the NBA all-time three-point record on Tuesday night in the game against the Knicks. Warriors won that game. Steph made, I believe, five threes to pass Ray Allen for the all-time lead. Gave Wolves fans a fresh reason to lament the 2009 draft when the Wolves, of course, passed twice on Steph Curry and instead took Ricky Rubio, which was a smart pick at the time and took Johnny Flynn, which was a questionable pick at the time and grew to be a flat-out historically bad idea as time went on. But, you know, good for Curry. He's he's awesome. He's, he's an amazing player. Would have hated to see him in a Wolves uniform for these last 12 years. I can tell you that much. Gophers men's basketball team, by the way, bailed out by their own shooting in Tuesday's game against Texas A&M Corpus Christi. Not a bad team. They came in 9-1. and one. Gophers came in 8-1. and one. Gophers, though, who had been very careful with the ball in their first two Big Ten games, only turned it over seven times against Michigan State and Michigan combined. They turned the ball over 28 times in this game. And, you know, if not for going 11 for 21 from three-point range and, you know, 52.4% and shooting 58.1% overall, uh, this might have been a different story. They were up like 26 in the second half. Let let Corpus, Texas A&M Corpus Christi come almost all the way back. A lot of that sloppy play turnovers. They do manage to get the win though, and that's maybe maybe our complaining about a win is another sign of expectations being raised for this program. And they do ultimately get the win. And if they can clean up some of that turnover mess, they should still be in good shape as the year goes along. Let's finish with the cooler wild game against Carolina, of course, postponed because of Carolina's struggles with COVID. A lot of guys on the COVID list there spent a lot of time on Tuesday's show talking about how how COVID is wreaking havoc through sports right now, so I'm not going to go too deep on that, but Sarah McClellan will be on Thursday's show, and I'm sure we will talk more about the impact of COVID on the NHL right now. On the ice, Pretty cool uh, story developed on Tuesday. A pair of former Lakeville goalies, Jake Ottinger and Charlie Lindgren, playing against each other. Lindgren with the Blues, Ottinger with the uh, Stars. 
And both of those guys having great seasons. They're, they haven't had the most action this season, but if we just count every single goalie, they are 1-2 right now in goals against average. Lindgren followed by Oettinger. And in this game, it was the Blues getting the better of the Stars and Lindgren getting the the win with 33 saves on 34 shots. But a couple of guys who both played for Lakeville North, who both went on to do bigger and better things, facing each other in the in net in the NHL on Tuesday night. Pretty cool indeed. That will do it for today. Hope you enjoyed the show. Be back at it on Thursday, like I said, with Sarah McClellan. Have a great rest of your Wednesday, and we'll see you then. 